turn to the Word of God too. Another, I won't call it a rabbit trail, but certainly it's deviating from our exposition of Philippians, which has been the mainstay of our diet uh, over the past few weeks. And so uh, this will be uh, the last of that until next week when we will resume uh, the, the study in the book of Philippians. So turn to Isaiah 53, 3, 13 and 14 of Isaiah 53. It's on the subject of the Lord's Day. Christian Sabbath, as it's also known. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for its teaching of the fourth commandment, which we read earlier, and now which we are considering from your servant Isaiah and his testimony of how it is to be applied. Help us, Lord, that we too may learn your word as we sang, that we may learn it in such a way, and that we may also teach it in such a way that it becomes memorable, that it would become, Lord, sunk deep in our hearts, and that, Lord, you would have all the glory and the praise as we delight in you. In the name of Christ, our living Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works, which he had made. And he blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it. Because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which he created and made. It's not that God need, needed to rest. God, God doesn't need to rest. <laughs> Although he does rest in the case of his work of creation to signify the end of the work of the creation and also to set an example for us in our work week to make sure that we rest as well. And we read Exodus 20, but we didn't read the full context this time. And so I would like to read it at this time. Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11. 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. 
For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The word Sabbath means rest. Hallowed means to make it holy, to set it apart. How does a child of God experience such rest? How do we rest? I think that's a valid question. Just like when we, who are, I'll just say, workaholics, need to slow down because we're moving too fast. We got to make the morning last. <laughs> Picking up cobblestones. <laughs> Smelling the roses. You see, all those are examples of how we rest, but some of us need to have it taught us. And, and that goes for the spiritual rest that we're talking about in the Christian Sabbath or in the Lord's Day. Well, first we rest by honoring His day itself, by honoring His day itself. There are ways that we honor Him that are specified in our passage in Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. And I won't reread this, but first, negatively, turn away thy foot from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. The day belongs to the Lord. That's why it's called the holy of the Lord, the set-apart day of the Lord. And why again? Because He set it apart, as we read. He set it apart from its common everyday use, as it were, that so often characterizes how we treat this day, to one that is exclusively used in His worship. Now, I don't mean we spend the whole day in church, although there are some that would actually endeavor to do that. Uh, at one time, for example, we had a morning and evening service for many years, I uh, was in a congregation where that was practiced. And, and even in the middle of the, uh, the time between the services, we engaged in private worship. Or we were involved in a ministry outreach in Balboa Park once a month. And even more, more than that in the summer. Or in some type of uh, endeavor like uh, extending the... Uh, uh, the well, letting the community know about our Sunday school and, and going out in the afternoon uh, every six months to invite neighbors to our Sunday school. So the whole day, the whole day. And then in the evening, we would have a fellowship worship that would often last until like nine o'clock. I know because I would be the one that closed or shut the gate afterwards when everybody uh, left. <laughs> and that was a blessing. But... This isn't necessarily meaning that we have to do that, but that our lives are one way or another in the context of uh, the church, in the public worship, but also in the home, in your own personal family and private life, are involved in things that will build you up in the Lord. That's what this is about. Just like when God used the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness and and called upon them to sanctify the altars and the tents and the garments and the very people themselves, like the priests and, and then those that they ministered to. Um, 
and then later in, in Jerusalem, the temple on his day. And this they did when they were faithful, punctiliously. And of course, that's uh, a blessing. It's a blessing. Uh, it's a blessing when you don't have to cook. I learned very early on how to use a crock pot from one of our uh, older brethren who donated one to me. And then um, this was the wife of, a, of an elder who had retired and were about to move away. And along with some other things that she gave me because she saw I was a single guy and I didn't have anything in my cupboards and I didn't have a wife to cook, which I do now, thankfully, and I praise God for that. But anyway, I learned how to make time for the Lord, even with such a, a thing as a crockpot. But this is all in honoring His day. And then also, um, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasures, nor speaking thine own words. What is that about? Well, as I began to say about uh, not not going, uh, let me put it this way, um, turn away your foot from doing thy own pleasure, um, traveling, make put that or make that uh, something that you not try to do on the Lord's day, unless it is to go to the house of God. I know that sometimes we're on vacation and we might make an exception in that case, but, but overall I'm talking about. And of course children need exercise and activities and uh, you who have uh, children understand what I'm talking about and how uh, you just let them, in this case, engage with their phones and with their uh, computers on this day to watch and to entertain themselves is really not the keeping of the Sabbath. Now there are exceptions to this, such as works of necessity like eating and drinking. And as I mentioned before, uh, uh, trying to minimize on that for the sake of having more time in the things of God. And works of necessity, like the care of the sick and invalid, such as those that are in jobs that require that they work to take care of people and not just to make money. Now on the positive side, by doing that own pleasure on my holy day, do God's pleasure. This refers to the things that Again, we do on those other days of the week, like our business and our work and our play or whatever. Uh, God does not forbid work or pleasure on the Sabbath because He's against pleasure. Oh no. He's a God who gives us that as uh, an outlet. But let us take the time in order to consecrate it for Him. And realize that there are greater pleasures to be had that are in store for us, such as when David says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Or in another one, that will be our verse for recitation next time. Psalm 8410. For a day 
in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And not speaking your own words, but instead speaking God's words. How much time do we speak or do we hear and listen to God's word? And thankfully, we're here. But this is part, and can I say the initial part of the celebration of the Lord's Day. Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Is the word of God such that we delight in it just as we do in food? I know we all love food. Don't tell me you don't. <laughs> I know that personally, firsthand, and I am thankful for my daily bread. However, the Word of God is also to be my daily bread. So when we pray that prayer, give us this day our daily bread, we're not only thinking about that portion for our stomachs, but also that portion for our souls. And as you benefit from this day of rest, secondly, you grow in delighting in God all the more. He goes on to say that as Isaiah, and call the Sabbath a delight. That is to take exquisite pleasure in it. This is not just, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, I like that. That's neat, you know. Uh, oh, wow. No, it's like you're so enthralled with that that you can't take your eyes off of it. It's just like when you guys, when we guys were first courting our wives and we saw the love of our life for the first time and it was like, Wow. <laughs> is that the Lord Jesus who the scriptures describes as the one who is altogether lovely to God's people? Is he your first love? Truly your first love. Even before any of those other earthly loves. <sighs> just that alone, just thinking about that makes me uh, well, want to love him more and to love him is to know him also to want to learn more about him to want to study his countenance to want to uh, know about his life to want to know what he did in order to save me from my sins what he did to make the way for me to heaven how he was the one who condescended to men of low estate meaning to us sinners in our fallen uh, Adamic nature and to bring us up to himself and up to God and finally up to heaven. This command, Isaiah starts with an attack on the dead formalism that was in his day in the worship of God's people. You can read the chapter, the whole chapter, Isaiah 58, to get a take on that. They were clinging to sin while going through the motions of religion. Have you ever felt that way, that you were just going through the motions of, of Christianity and then one day you realize, why am I here? Well, you know, you don't want that to happen. You don't want that spiritual deadness to set in. And it can happen to any of us. It can happen any time. I've seen it happen to ministers. We have a number of ministers who are no longer ministering over the past just few years. And I never thought 
in my wildest imagination that that ever would be, especially when I would attend upon their ordination and installation into office in their, in their particular local church. I just thought, whoa, could that happen to me? Yes, and it could happen, if it could happen to an under-shepherd, it could happen to the sheep, which, of which we are one, <laughs> I might add. Um, in Matthew 15, 8, I've been reading all the scriptures, so now I would bid you to turn with me to, to this verse. Matthew 15, 8. This is what Isaiah prophesied, quoted by our Lord and Savior in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, which read, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. They praise me. They pray. And honoreth me with their lips. Well, that's good. That's a start, right? But it doesn't end there, does it? But their heart is far from me. Your heart has to keep up with your, with your lips and with your words, with your testimony, with your presence at the means of grace. It's not enough just to be here, just to go through the motions of religion or of churchianity or of Christianity. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So ultimately, their worship is rejected. Their prayers are like words that bounce off of the ceiling, heaven being like brass. And ultimately, God condemns their very teachings because their very teachings are the teachings of men and not of God. So, pretty serious stuff, isn't it? True Christian Sabbath keeping starts in the attitude of the heart. The antidote to formalism, this, this very problem that, that, that Isaiah is addressing, that our Lord is addressing, and that I'm addressing in this church, and in general in our, in our visible church, as we would call the church at large. This antidote to formalism starts with our growing in our appreciation of the great, spiritual blessings that attend the keeping of the Sabbath day. This is where it begins. This is the time it begins. This is the start of the week, the first day of the week. But this is the day also when Christ rose again and conquered sin and Satan and the world and closed the gates to hell and opened the gates to heaven for His people. And if you're His people, you would rejoice and be glad. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will be Glad and rejoice in it. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. And also to enjoy fellowship with others, with all of God's people that we come in contact with, and to have the Christian family, the church family, uh, to interact with, to be encouraged by, to encourage us, to minister to, to have opportunity to uh, serve together in His kingdom. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And that extends also, as I have already said, to our private time with the Lord. 
And in the context of uh, Isaiah 58, uh, one of the encouragements that Isaiah gave to the people of God was found in verse 11, in which he is said to do. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. He will make the desert of our souls to be like a watered garden once again. And it reminds me of this hymn which I'm going to read to you uh, called In the Garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I am His own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. And until you experience that that walk with the Lord, that close walk with Christ and experience it for yourself and not someone else, you won't know what I'm talking about. You'll only be singing a hymn like this and it'll just be like water off the duck's back, you know? You know that saying? It really and truly will be. But when you experience it, I'll tell you what, you will, you will, you, you will be amazed you will be amazed. You will just be in wonderment at God in a way that makes you want to have more occasions like that. And think about this. The Lord has put into place that with the Lord's Day so that every week you're reminded, as it were. You're given the opportunity to enter into that and to use this in order to capitalize on the spiritual blessings that come from this time together here, together uh, as a congregation, and then carry that into your home and into your life out there. Is that important? Oh, yes. Do we always do it? I'll just be honest and admit to you that sometimes I'm carried away with the tyranny of the urgent, as it's called. Meaning, the urgent, in this case, in my case, the urgency of doing the Lord's work. And sometimes getting so caught up with ministry that I get burned out. Yeah, that can happen. I remember uh, how in seminary, uh, especially when I was ministering in the church also, how I would be studying for seminary and then I would have to study for the church, right? To teach Sunday school and uh, Bible study. Sometimes, just to save time, I'd use the studies of, uh, that I would do in the seminary in those other contexts because I was so caught up in the tyranny of the urgent that uh, I had a, the tyrant of, of time, the taskmaster of time bearing down on me and that's an excuse really because you know what? If something is important and you know the meaning of prioritizing, you will make time. And you may not get everything done but you'll get what is the essential. And what can be more essential than our walk with Christ? Right? Amen? And so... Enjoy your fellowship with the Lord more. Work on that. And then lastly, God in turn will give you a deeper and fuller Christian walk with Him. That's what He means by in Isaiah 58, 14. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, 
and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. To ride upon the high places of the earth. That sounds like someone in a, one of those, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a plane, it's got a balloon on it, but it's got a motor and, and they're flying along like we see up in, uh, in Yuma, uh, enjoying themselves. And, and sometimes there's like a group of them, like, you know, just up there riding upon the high places of the earth <laughs> or in some device that enables them to fly, you know, like Superman. Uh, but no, that's not what it is. He is borrowing from Deuteronomy and in Deuteronomy 32, 11 to 13. We read the following, Deuteronomy 32. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, bearing them on her wings. Imagine a bird, a mother bird, carrying her young on her wings when they can't fly yet. Have you ever seen that? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so the Lord alone did lead them, and there was no strange God with him. He made him to ride on the high places of the earth. That's what God is, is, is going to do with you. You're going to ride on the Lord and He's going to take you. Just as He promised that He will take you to be with Him forever in heaven. Just like it says in the Bible how the, uh, Lazarus was taken by the angels into the bosom of Abraham. And that was physically. Just as the disciples upon His ascension saw Him go up into the, into the sky and disappear through the clouds into the atmosphere and finally into the third heaven as it's described in scripture the heaven where, where God reigns upon his throne <clears throat> he made him to ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields and he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock so God promises his people that he will do this and in the story that is in the uh, passage also to have victory because when you're riding high you're, you're showing that you are in conquest over over everything even over uh, the earth over our being uh, merely and simply and only creatures of this earth we become citizens of heaven we become children of our celestial God and King in Romans 8 35 through 37, we see the, the promises uh, that the love of Christ afford the children of God. In Romans 8, 35 through 37, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So we may be going through all of the above. As we know the Apostle Paul, who attests to this in his own life, experienced at the hand of his enemies, be they men or devil or the dangers that are froth upon the path of service to our great God in his missionary journeys 
throughout the civilized world of his day. Could it be that an important reason for the spiritual weakness of the church is her failure to honor the Lord on his day, that he is not experiencing this? And that is how we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And to actually see the defeat of sin and Satan and the world in our lives, instead of being overwhelmed by them, overcome by them, made anxious by them. He says, He will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. This is taken from among other places from Psalm 105, 7 through 11. Psalm 105, 7 through 11. Isn't it good to just, just go through Scripture and read different passages as well as to be reading through the Bible? I hope you, you do that. I hope you take that opportunity. And by the way, that's a good thing to do if you haven't done that in a while or have done it at all, is to read through the Bible. And, and if you have no other time to do that consistently, you can do it one day a week, and that's this day. Think about that. Take note. Psalm 105, 7-11 through 11. Read, reads, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He hath remembered His covenant forever, the word which He commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant He made with Abraham, and His oath unto Isaac, and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. 12. When they were but a few men in number, yea, very few, and strangers in it. See, God is able to do this. He is able to give you what He has given Jacob, in this case. The supplanter, the one who was the trickster, the one who was the liar. He can change a liar into a truth speaker, into one who is making the Word of God His foundation, and whose God is the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. The possession of the land and its fruits are but a picture of our spiritual inheritance in Christ. It says in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, 1 Peter 1, 3-5, I'm taking you on a tour of the Scriptures intentionally so that you might turn to these and actually see them, and then have your heart and your appetite, your spiritual appetite wedded so that you might on your own continue. Perhaps with something that, that takes your fancy, that, 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 that pulls on your heart, or some scripture that in time will become a landmark in your path that you will resort to, especially when times are difficult, such as those verses that we memorize in scripture. So in First Peter <clears throat> chapter 1, Three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, 
ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what is afforded the child of God who takes God seriously at his word and who obeys him, especially in the matter of his fellowship and communion with God. The time we, we give to God shows our love for God, just as when you give time to a loved one, such as a, an ailing, aging loved one who's been shut in, and you realize, oh, I haven't visited this loved one in a long time. Or this one who's in a restaurant, and I used to do restaurant ministry, as you know, and one of the lamentations of of, of not just one or two, but many who I would personally visit in the afternoon was that they were lonely. And not always was it because their child lived in Atlanta, Georgia, or in Yuma, Arizona, but because, but, but, but they're in San Diego. Doesn't that break your heart? But you know what? Look in the mirror. See if that's not you. Because you know what? Even if you try to visit people, maybe there's somebody that's left out. Somebody that you haven't thought about in a long time. Somebody that you have not reached out to in a while. That you could, guess when? On the Lord's Day. <laughs> On the Lord's Day. So this is our inheritance and we have it now. Because we have the down payment of heaven in our souls. The Holy Spirit of God. Who is our down payment of heaven. We know that we're going to be in heaven because heaven has already come into our hearts and into our minds and into our souls. So the Sabbath rest will serve also in deepening first your understanding of the Lord because as you love Him more, you want to know about Him more, right? And of course your love for Him. And it will enable you to grow in heartfelt appreciation of your of what you have in Christ in a way that nothing else will. If you're not doing this, try it. You'll like it. <laughs> and you will grow in every way. So in application, let me add this from Heidelberg Catechism, question 103. And it's a very simple one question and answer, one answer response. Unlike in Westminster, that you know, it, it keeps going. <laughs> And that's fine too. And that's good for Bible study. But, but here it says it all in one terse statement. One very simple, straightforward statement. What does God require in the fourth commandment? In the first place, God wills that the ministry of the gospel and schools, like Sunday schools is what he's referring to in Bible studies, be maintained. And that includes also in the home. That is also at the family altar or in your uh, prayer closet, okay? All of the above. Engage in those things. Um, so those must be maintained. And that I, especially on the day of rest, diligently attend church, which is where we're at, to learn the Word of God, to use the holy sacraments, which are uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to call publicly upon the Lord prayer, and to give Christian alms. That's uh, our tithes and offerings. In the second place... Listen very carefully to this. This is the application of it to our souls. That all of the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Allow the Lord to work in me by His Spirit. And thus begin in this life the everlasting Sabbath. Someone uh, who I uh, deeply respected and honored as my first and main mentor would say that every Sabbath is one day closer to the eternal Sabbath rest.
And I, I, I held on to that. And when I was first converted, it was when I first moved here and also decided I'm going <coughs> to work, you know, because <laughs> if you don't work, you don't eat, right? Um, I was taught this principle, as you know, by the crock pot, right? <laughs> and on my application, I told my bosses, even though this is a part-time retail job, right, because my main job was to be a student, I stipulated there, don't work on Sunday. <laughs> I keep the Sabbath. And I've been doing it now for well, several months already at the time before I started to work in the, in the, in the retail industry. And I had some bumps in the road, you know, hiccups in the road where they tried to force me to work, but I held on to that tenaciously because that to me was my lifeblood. If I couldn't do that, I won't say I lost, but uh, you know how your life goes like this, right? Instead of like that. And I tell you, God honored that. And I've kept every Lord's Day, except when I got sick and I couldn't come to church. But thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. He is so merciful. He is so gracious. And so rest from my evil works. What does that mean? Rest from the guilt of sin. Rest from the power of Satan, the bondage of his will, having been set free by the stronger man who is Jesus Christ. And now he resides as the one who is on the throne of my heart and is the God of my home. And the blessings of that, which is another story uh, of having a family in Christ, the blessings of that. And then rest from the tribulations of the world. Jesus says that he has come to bring peace that will not be taken from us, a peace that passes understanding. He says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And overcome it, he did in our lives. But if you do not rest from everything else on his day, and if you're occupied in tinkering and doing housework, and, and that's why I also, uh, that's where I also learned how to leave the dishes in the sink. I just put a, a, a towel over it so I wouldn't see it. That tells you how I am, right? Or when you got a dishwasher, I'd stick it in it. No, I wouldn't even do that. You know why? <laughs> That's work. <laughs> I know it, it, it can be kind of fastidious and almost pharisaical. You've got to be careful of that. You don't want to be, be pharisaical, right? And, and let the means become the ends instead of the ends uh, leading to the, to the glory of God. So anyway, um, all of this is all good. This as long as you have a wholesome healthful, Christ-centered, God-honoring attitude. And, and ask yourself this, okay? Uh, like after church lets out and after you go home, uh, every time you're about to make a decision to do something that is contrary to the keeping of the Lord's Day, does this honor God? Or would Jesus do this? Maybe that will help. Psalm 37.1 reads, Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. And then lastly, look at Matthew 11.28. This is how we, we accomplish all of the above. This is the key verse. <coughs> if I can summarize it with a verse. Matthew 11, 
28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You came to him when you came to him for salvation. But don't stop coming to him. Always make it your practice to come to Jesus just as you're coming here. But in your own personal life, in your family's life, in your life out there. And I'll tell you, this, this will be the antidote to everything that would stop you from having God's very, very best. And I think I'll stop with that. So shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your Son, Christ Jesus, and how we have found rest in coming to Him for rest. Because He is our loving and all-powerful Savior, who has saved us from being a workaholic of sin. Oh Lord, thank you that we rest in Him and in His accomplishments for us, in His grueling, excruciating, life-threatening, life-taking, and sacrificing work, so that we may have your fellowship and one day your presence in our lives when you go to be